Section 16 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 8, Part 2. Then she related their story, but in a spiritless way, without seeking to move her visitors. She was called Giacinta, it appeared and had married a mason one tommaso gozzo by whom she had had seven children pierina then tito a big fellow of eighteen then four more girls each at an interval of two years and finally the infant a boy whom she now had on her lap they had long lived in the trastevere district in an old house which had lately been pulled down and their existence seemed to have then been shattered for since they had taken refuge in the quartiere dei prati the crisis in the building trade had reduced tommaso and tito to absolute idleness and the bead factory where pierina had earned as much as ten pence a day just enough to prevent them from dying of hunger had closed its doors at present not one of them had any work they lived purely by chance if you like to go up the woman added you'll find tommaso there with his brother ambrogio whom we've taken to live with us they'll know better than i what to say to you tommaso is resting but what else can he do it's like tito he's dozing over there so saying she pointed towards the dry grass amidst which lay a tall young fellow with a pronounced nose hard mouth and eyes as admirable as pierina's he had raised his head to glance suspiciously at the visitors a fierce frown gathering on his forehead when he remarked how rapturously his sister contemplated the prince then he let his head fall again but kept his eyes open watching the pair stealthily take the lady and gentleman upstairs pierina since they would like to see the place said the mother other women had now drawn near shuffling along with bare feet in old shoes bands of children too were swarming around little girls but half clad amongst whom no doubt were giacinta's four however with their black eyes under their tangled mops they were all so much alike that only their mothers could identify them and the whole resembled a teeming camp of misery pitched on that spot of majestic disaster that street of palaces unfinished yet already in ruins with a soft loving smile benedetta turned to her cousin don't you come up she gently said i don't desire your death dario mio it was very good of you to come so far wait for me here in the pleasant sunshine monsieur l'abbé and monsieur Robert will go up with me dario began to laugh and willingly acquiesced then lighting a cigarette he walked slowly up and down well pleased with the mildness of the atmosphere la pierina had already darted into the spacious porch whose lofty vaulted ceiling was adorned with panels displaying a rosaceous pattern however a veritable manure heap covered such marble slabs as had already been laid in the vestibule whilst the steps of the monumental stone staircase with sculptured balustrade were already cracked and so grimy that they seemed almost black on all sides appeared the greasy stains of hands the walls whilst awaiting the painter and gilder had been smeared with repulsive filth on reaching the spacious first-floor landing pierina paused and contenting herself with calling through a gaping portal which lacked both door and framework father here's a lady and two gentlemen to see you then to the contesina she added it's the third room at the end and forthwith she herself rapidly descended the stairs hastening back to her passion benedetta and her companions passed through two large rooms bossy with plaster underfoot and having frameless windows wide open upon space and at last they reached a third room 
where the whole gozzo family had installed itself with the remnants it used as furniture on the floor where the bare iron girders showed no boards having been laid down were five or six leprous-looking palliasses a long table which was still strong occupied the centre of the room and here and there were a few old damaged straw-seated chairs mended with bits of rope the great business had been to close two of the three windows with boards whilst the third one and the door were screened with some old mattress ticking studded with stains and holes tomaso's face expressed the surprise of a man who is unaccustomed to visits of charity seated at the table with his elbows resting on it and his chin supported by his hands he was taking repose as his wife jacinta had said he was a sturdy fellow of five-and-forty bearded and long-haired and in spite of all his misery and idleness his large face had remained as serene as that of a roman senator however the sight of the two foreigners for such he had once judged pierre and narcisse to be made him rise to his feet with sudden distrust but he smiled on recognizing benedetta and as she began to speak of dario and to explain the charitable purpose of their visit he interrupted her yes yes i know contesina oh i well know who you are for in my father's time i once walled up a window at the palazzo bocconera then he complacently allowed himself to be questioned telling pierre who was surprised that although they were certainly not happy they would have found life tolerable had they been able to work two days a week and one could divine that he was at heart fairly well content to go on short commons provided that he could live as he listed without fatigue his narrative and his manner suggested the familiar locksmith who on being summoned by a traveller to open his trunk the key of which was lost sent word that he could not possibly disturb himself during the hour of the siesta in short there was no rent to pay as there were plenty of empty mansions open to the poor and a few coppers would have sufficed for food easily contented and sober as one was but oh sir tommaso continued things were ever so much better under the pope my father a mason like myself worked at the vatican all his life and even now when i myself get a job or two it's always there we were spoilt you see by those ten years of busy work when we never left our ladders and earned as much as we pleased of course we fed ourselves better and bought ourselves clothes and took such pleasure as we cared for so that it's all the harder nowadays to have to stint ourselves but if you'd only come to see us in the pope's time no taxes everything to be had for nothing so to say why one merely had to let oneself live at this moment a growl arose from one of the palliasses lying in the shade of the boarded windows and the mason in his slow quiet way resumed it's my brother ambrogio who isn't of my opinion he was with the republicans in forty nine when he was fourteen but it doesn't matter we took him with us when we heard that he was dying of hunger and sickness in a cellar the visitors could not help quivering with pity ambrogio was the elder by some fifteen years and now though scarcely sixty he was already a ruin consumed by fever his legs so wasted that he spent his days on his palias without ever going out shorter and slighter but more turbulent than his brother he had been a carpenter by trade and despite his physical decay he retained an extraordinary head the head of an apostle and martyr at once noble and tragic in its expression and encompassed by bristling snowy hair and beard the pope he growled i've never spoken badly of the pope yet it's his fault if tyranny continues he alone in forty nine could have given us the republic and then we shouldn't have been as we are now ambrogio had known mazzini whose vague religiosity remained in him the dream of a republican pope at last establishing the reign of liberty and fraternity 
but later on his passion for garibaldi had disturbed these views and led him to regard the papacy as worthless incapable of achieving human freedom and so between the dream of his youth and the stern experience of his life he now hardly knew in which direction the truth lay moreover he had never acted save under the impulse of violent emotion but contented himself with fine words vague indeterminate wishes brother ambrogio replied tommaso all tranquillity the pope is the pope and wisdom lies in putting oneself on his side because he will always be the pope that is to say the stronger for my part if we had to vote tomorrow i'd vote for him calmed by the shrewd prudence characteristic of his race the old carpenter made no haste to reply at last he said well as for me brother tommaso i should vote against him always against him and you know very well that we should have the majority the pope king indeed that's all over the very borgo would revolt still i won't say that we oughtn't to come to an understanding with him so that everybody's religion may be respected pierre listened deeply interested and at last ventured to ask are there many socialists among the roman working classes this time the answer came after a yet longer pause socialists yes there are some no doubt but much fewer than in other places all those things are novelties which impatient fellows go in for without understanding much about them we old men we were for liberty we don't believe in fire and massacre then fearing to say too much in presence of that lady and those gentlemen ambrogio began to moan on his pallet whilst the contesina somewhat upset by the smell of the place took her departure after telling the young priest that it would be best for them to leave their arms with the wife downstairs meantime tommaso resumed his seat at the table again letting his chin rest on his hands as he nodded to his visitors no more impressed by their departure than he had been by their arrival to the pleasure of seeing you again and am happy to have been able to oblige you on the threshold however narcisa's enthusiasm burst forth he turned to cast a final admiring glance at old ambrogio's head a perfect masterpiece which he continued praising whilst he descended the stairs down below giacinta was still sitting on the broken box with her infant across her lap and a few steps away pierina stood in front of dario watching him with an enchanted air whilst he finished his cigarette tito lying low in the grass like an animal on the watch for prey did not for a moment cease to gaze at them ah signorina resumed the woman in her resigned doleful voice the place is hardly inhabitable as you must have seen the only good thing is that one gets plenty of room but there are draughts enough to kill me and i'm always so afraid of the children falling down some of the holes thereupon she related a story of a woman who had lost her life through mistaking a window for a door one evening and falling headlong into the street then too a little girl had broken both arms by tumbling from a staircase which had no banisters and you could die there without anybody knowing how bad you were and coming to help you only the previous day the corpse of an old man had been found lying on the plaster in a lonely room starvation must have killed him quite a week previously yet he would still have been stretched there if the odour of his remains had not attracted the attention of neighbours if one only had something to eat things wouldn't be so bad continued giacinta but it's dreadful when there's a baby to suckle and one gets no food for after a while one has no milk this little fellow wants his titty and gets angry with me because i can't give him any but it isn't my fault he has sucked me till the blood came and all i can do is to cry as she spoke tears welled into her poor dim eyes 
but all at once she flew into a tantrum with tito who was still wallowing in the grass like an animal instead of rising by way of civility towards those fine people who would surely leave her some arms eh tito you lazy fellow can't you get up when people come to see you she called after some pretence of not hearing the young fellow at last rose with an air of great ill-humour and pierre feeling interested in him tried to draw him out as he had done with the father and uncle upstairs but tito only returned curt answers as if both bored and suspicious since there was no work to be had said he the only thing was to sleep it was of no use to get angry that wouldn't alter matters so the best was to live as one could without increasing one's worry as for socialists well yes perhaps there were a few but he didn't know any and his weary indifferent manner made it quite clear that if his father was for the pope and his uncle for the republic he himself was for nothing at all in this pierre divined the end of a nation or rather the slumber of a nation in which democracy had not yet awakened however as the priest continued asking tito his age what school he had attended and in what district he had been born the young man suddenly cut the question short by pointing with one finger to his breast and saying gravely io sono romano di roma and indeed did that not answer everything i am a roman of rome pierre smiled sadly and spoke no further never had he more fully realized the pride of that race the long descending inheritance of glory which was so heavy to bear the sovereign vanity of the caesars lived anew in that degenerate young fellow who was scarcely able to read and write starveling though he was he knew his city and could instinctively have recounted the grand pages of its history the names of the great emperors and great popes were familiar to him and why should men toil and moil when they had been the masters of the world why not live nobly and idly in the most beautiful of cities under the most beautiful of skies io sono romana di roma benedetta had slipped her arms into the mother's hand and pierre and narcisse were following her example when dario who had already done so thought of pierina he did not like to offer her money but a pretty fanciful idea occurred to him lightly touching his lips with his fingertips he said with a faint laugh for beauty there was something really pretty and pleasing in the kiss thus wafted with a slightly mocking laugh by that familiar good-natured young prince who as in some love story of the olden time was touched by the beautiful bead-worker's mute adoration pierina flushed with pleasure and losing her head darted upon dario's hand and pressed her warm lips to it with unthinking impulsiveness in which there was as much divine gratitude as tender passion but tito's eyes flashed with anger at the sight and brutally seizing his sister by the skirt he threw her back growling between his teeth none of that you know or i'll kill you and him too it was high time for the visitors to depart for other women scenting the presence of money were now coming forward with outstretched hands or dispatching tearful children in their stead the whole wretched abandoned district was in a flutter a distressful wail ascended from those lifeless streets with high resounding names but what was to be done one could not give to all so the only course lay in flight amidst deep sadness as one realized how powerless was charity in presence of such appalling want when benedetta and dario had reached their carriage they hastened to take their seats and nestle side by side glad to escape from all such horrors still the contesina was well pleased with her bravery in the presence of pierre whose hand she pressed with the emotion of a pupil touched by the master's lesson after narcisse had told her that he meant to take the young priest to lunch at the little restaurant on the piazza of st peter's whence one obtained such an interesting view of the vatican try some of the light white wine of genzano said dario who had become quite gay again there's nothing better to drive away the blues 
however pierre's curiosity was insatiable and on the way he again questioned narcisse about the people of modern rome their life habits and manners there was little or no education he learnt no large manufactures and no export trade existed the men carried on the few trades that were current all consumption being virtually limited to the city itself among the women there were bead workers and embroiderers and the manufacture of religious articles such as medals and chaplets and of certain popular jewellery had always occupied a fair number of hands but after marriage the women invariably burdened with numerous offspring attempted little beyond household work briefly the population took life as it came working just sufficiently to secure food contenting itself with vegetables pastes and scraggy mutton without thought of rebellion or ambition the only vices were gambling and a partiality for the red and white wines of the roman province wines which excited to quarrel and murder and on the evenings of feast days when the taverns emptied strewed the streets with groaning men slashed and stabbed with knives the girls however but seldom went wrong one could count those who allowed themselves to be seduced and this arose from the great union prevailing in each family every member of which bowed submissively to the father's absolute authority moreover the brothers watched over their sisters even as tito did over pierina guarding them fiercely for the sake of the family honour and amidst all this there was no real religion but simply a childish idolatry all hearts going forth to the madonna and the saints who alone were entreated and regarded as having being for it never occurred to anybody to think of god thus the stagnation of the lower orders could easily be understood behind them were the many centuries during which idleness had been encouraged vanity flattered and nerveless life willingly accepted when there were neither masons nor carpenters nor bakers they were servants serving the priests and more or less directly in the pay of the vatican then sprang the two antagonistic parties on the one hand the more numerous party composed of the old carbonari marzinians and garibaldians the elite of the trastevere and on the other the clients of the vatican all who lived on or by the church and regretted the pope king but after all the antagonism was confined to opinions there was no thought of making an effort or incurring a risk for that some sudden flare of passion strong enough to overcome the sturdy calmness of the race would have been needed but what would have been the use of it the wretchedness had lasted for so many centuries the sky was so blue the siesta preferable to aught else during the hot hours and only one thing seemed positive that the majority was certainly in favour of rome remaining the capital of italy indeed rebellion had almost broken out in the leonine city when the cession of the latter to the holy see was rumoured as for the increase of want and poverty this was largely due to the circumstance that the roman workman had really gained nothing by the many works carried on in his city during fifteen years first of all over forty thousand provincials mostly from the north more spirited and resistant than himself and working at cheaper rates had invaded rome and when he the roman had secured his share of the labour he had lived in better style without thought of economy so that after the crisis when the forty thousand men from the provinces were sent home again he had found himself once more in a dead city where trade was always slack and thus he had relapsed into his antique indolence at heart well pleased at no longer being hustled by press of work and again accommodating himself as best he could to his old mistress want empty in pocket yet always a grand seigneur however pierre was struck by the great difference between the want and wretchedness of rome and paris in rome the destitution was certainly more complete the food more loathsome the dirt more repulsive 
yet at the same time the roman poor retained more ease of manner and more real gaiety the young priest thought of the fireless breadless poor of paris shivering in their hovels at winter time and suddenly he understood the destitution of rome did not know cold what a sweet and eternal consolation a sun forever bright a sky forever blue and benign out of charity to the wretched and what mattered the vileness of the dwelling if one could sleep under the sky fanned by the warm breeze what mattered even hunger if the family could await the windfall of chance in sunlit streets or on the scorched grass the climate induced sobriety there was no need of alcohol or red meat to enable one to face treacherous fogs blissful idleness smiled on the golden evenings poverty became like the enjoyment of liberty in that delightful atmosphere where the happiness of living seemed to be all-sufficient narcisse told pierre that at naples in the narrow odoriferous streets of the port and santa lucia districts the people spent virtually their whole lives out of doors gay childish and ignorant seeking nothing beyond the few pence that were needed to buy food and it was certainly the climate which fostered the prolonged infancy of the nation which explained why such a democracy did not awaken to social ambition and consciousness of itself no doubt the poor of naples and rome suffered from want but they did not know the rancour which cruel winter implants in men's hearts the dark rancour which one feels on shivering with cold while rich people are warming themselves before blazing fires they did not know the infuriated reveries in snow-swept hovels when the guttering dip burns low the passionate need which then comes upon one to wreak justice to revolt as from a sense of duty in order that one may save wife and children from consumption in order that they also may have a warm nest where life shall be a possibility ah the want that shivers with the bitter cold therein lies the excess of social injustice the most terrible of schools where the poor learn to realize their sufferings where they are roused to indignation and swear to make those sufferings cease even if in doing so they annihilate all olden society and in that same clemency of the southern heavens pierre also found an explanation for the life of st francis that divine mendicant of love who roamed the high roads extolling the charms of poverty doubtless he was an unconscious revolutionary protesting against the overflowing luxury of the roman court by his return to the love of the humble the simplicity of the primitive church but such a revival of innocence and sobriety would never have been possible in a northern land the enchantment of nature the frugality of a people whom the sunlight nourished the benignity of mendicancy on roads forever warm were needed to effect it and yet how was it possible that a st francis glowing with brotherly love could have appeared in a land which nowadays so seldom practises charity which treats the lowly so harshly and contemptuously and cannot even bestow alms on its own pope is it because ancient pride ends by hardening all hearts or because the experience of very old races leads finally to egotism that one now beholds italy seemingly benumbed amidst dogmatic and pompous catholicism whilst the return to the ideals of the gospel the passionate interest in the poor and the suffering comes from the woeful plains of the north from the nations whose sunlight is so limited yes doubtless all that has much to do with the change and the success of st francis was in particular due to the circumstance that after so gaily espousing his lady poverty he was able to lead her barefooted and scarcely clad during endless and delightful springtides among communities whom an ardent need of love and compassion then consumed while conversing pierre and narcisse had reached the piazza of st peter's and they sat down at one of the little tables skirting the pavement outside the restaurant where they had lunched once before the linen was none too clean but the view was splendid 
the basilica rose up in front of them and the vatican on the right above the majestic curve of the colonnade just as the waiter was bringing the hors d'oeuvre some finocchio and anchovies the young priest who had fixed his eyes on the vatican raised an exclamation to attract narcisse's attention look my friend at that window which i am told is the holy father's can't you distinguish a pale figure standing there quite motionless the young man began to laugh oh well said he it must be the holy father in person you are so anxious to see him that your very anxiety conjures him into your presence but i assure you repeated pierre that he is over there behind the window-pane there is a white figure looking this way narcisse who was very hungry began to eat whilst still indulging in banter all at once however he exclaimed well my dear abbe as the pope is looking at us this is the moment to speak of him i promised to tell you how he sank several millions of st peter's patrimony in the frightful financial crisis of which you had just seen the ruins and indeed your visit to the new district of the castle fields would not be complete without this story by way of appendix thereupon without losing a mouthful narcisse spoke at considerable length at the death of pius ninth the patrimony of st peter it seemed had exceeded twenty millions of francs cardinal antonelli who speculated and whose ventures were usually successful had for a long time left a part of this money with the rothschilds and a part in the hands of different nuncios who turned it to profit abroad after antonelli's death however his successor cardinal simeoni withdrew the money from the nuncios to invest it at rome and leo thirteen on his accession entrusted the administration of the patrimony to a commission of cardinals of which monsignor folchi was appointed secretary this prelate who for twelve years played such an important role was the son of an employee of the dataria who thanks to skilful financial operations had left a fortune of a million francs monsignor folchi inherited his father's cleverness and revealed himself to be a financier of the first rank in such wise that the commission gradually relinquished its powers to him letting him act exactly as he pleased and contenting itself with approving the reports which he laid before it at each meeting the patrimony however yielded scarcely more than a million francs per annum and as the expenditure amounted to seven millions six had to be found accordingly from that other source of income the peter's pence the pope annually gave three million francs to monsignor folchi who by skilful speculations and investments was able to double them every year and thus provide for all disbursements without ever breaking into the capital of the patrimony in the earlier times he realized considerable profit by gambling in land in and about rome he took shares also in many new enterprises speculated in mills omnibuses and water services without mentioning all the gambling in which he participated with the banca di roma a catholic institution wonderstruck by his skill the pope who on his own side had hitherto speculated through the medium of a confidential employee named sterbini dismissed the latter and entrusted monsignor folchi with the duty of turning his money to profit in the same way as he turned that of the holy see this was the climax of the prelate's favour the apogee of his power bad days were dawning things were tottering already and the great collapse was soon to come sudden and swift like lightning one of leo XIII's practices was to lend large sums to the roman princes who seized with the gambling frenzy and mixed up in land and building speculations were at a loss for money to guarantee the pope's advances they deposited shares with him and thus when the downfall came he was left with heaps of worthless paper on his hands then another disastrous affair was an attempt to found a house of credit in paris in view of working off the shares which could not be disposed of in italy among the french aristocracy and religious people 
to egg these on it was said that the pope was interested in the venture and the worst was that he dropped three millions of francs in it the situation then became the more critical as he had gradually risked all the money he disposed of in the terrible adjutage going on in rome tempted thereto by the prospect of huge profits and perhaps indulging in the hope that he might win back by money the city which had been torn from him by force his own responsibility remained complete for monsignor folchi never made an important venture without consulting him and he must have been therefore the real artisan of the disaster mastered by his passion for gain his desire to endow the church with a huge capital that great source of power in modern times as always happens however the prelate was the only victim he had become imperious and difficult to deal with and was no longer liked by the cardinals of the commission who were merely called together to approve such transactions as he chose to entrust to them so when the crisis came a plot was laid the cardinals terrified the pope by telling him of all the evil rumours which were current and then forced monsignor folchi to render a full account of his speculations the situation proved to be very bad it was no longer possible to avoid heavy losses and so monsignor folchi was disgraced and since then has vainly solicited an audience of leo thirteen who has always refused to receive him as if determined to punish him for their common fault that passion for lucre which blinded them both very pious and submissive however monsignor folchi has never complained but has kept his secrets and bowed to fate nobody can say exactly how many millions the patrimony of st peter lost when rome was changed into a gambling hell but if some prelates only admit ten others go as far as thirty the probability is that the loss was about fifteen millions whilst narcisse was giving this account he and pierre had dispatched their cutlets and tomatoes and the waiter was now serving them some fried chicken at the present time said narcisse by way of conclusion the gap has been filled up i told you of the large sums of money yielded by the peters pence fund the amount of which is only known by the pope who alone fixes its employment and by the way he isn't cured of speculating i know from a good source that he still gambles though with more prudence however his confidential assistant is still a prelate and when all is said my dear abbe he is in the right a man must belong to his times dash it all pierre had listened with growing surprise in which terror and sadness mingled doubtless such things were natural even legitimate yet he in his dream of a pastor of souls free from all terrestrial cares had never imagined that they existed what the pope the spiritual father of the lowly and the suffering had speculated in land and in stocks and shares he had gambled placed funds in the hands of jew bankers practised usury extracted hard interest from money he the successor of the apostle the pontiff of christ the representative of jesus of the gospel that divine friend of the poor and besides what a painful contrast so many millions stored away in those rooms of the vatican and so many millions working and fructifying constantly being diverted from one speculation to another in order that they might yield the more gain and then down below near at hand so much want and misery in those abominable unfinished buildings of the new districts so many poor folks dying of hunger amidst filth mothers without milk for their babes men reduced to idleness by lack of work old ones at the last gasp like beasts of burden who are poleaxed when they are of no more use ah god of charity god of love was it possible the church doubtless had material wants she could not live without money prudence and policy had dictated the thought of gaining for her such a treasure as would enable her to fight her adversaries victoriously 
but how grievously this wounded one's feelings how it soiled the church how she descended from her divine throne to become nothing but a party a vast international association organized for the purpose of conquering and possessing the world and the more pierre thought of the extraordinary adventure the greater was his astonishment could a more unexpected startling drama be imagined that pope shutting himself up in his palace a prison no doubt but one whose hundred windows overlooked immensity that pope who at all hours of the day and night in every season could from his window see his capital the city which had been stolen from him and the restitution of which he never ceased to demand that pope who day by day beheld the changes effected in the city the opening of new streets the demolition of ancient districts the sale of land and the gradual erection of new buildings which ended by forming a white girdle around the old ruddy roofs that pope who in presence of this daily spectacle this building frenzy which he could follow from morn till eve was himself finally overcome by the gambling passion and secluded in his closed chamber began to speculate on the embellishments of his old capital seeking wealth in the spurt of work and trade brought about by that very italian government which he reproached with spoliation and finally that pope losing millions in a catastrophe which he ought to have desired but had been unable to foresee no never had dethroned monarch yielded to a stranger idea compromised himself in a more tragical venture the result of which fell upon him like divine punishment and it was no mere king who had done this but the delegate of god the man who in the eyes of idolatrous christendom was the living manifestation of the deity dessert had now been served a goat's cheese and some fruit and narcisse was just finishing some grapes when on raising his eyes he in turn exclaimed well you are quite right my dear abbe i myself can see a pale figure at the window of the holy father's room pierre who scarcely took his eyes from the window answered slowly yes yes it went away but has just come back and stands there white and motionless well after all what would you have the pope do resumed narcisse with his languid air he's like everybody else he looks out of the window when he wants a little distraction and certainly there's plenty for him to look at the same idea had occurred to pierre and was filling him with emotion people talked of the vatican being closed and pictured a dark gloomy palace encompassed by high walls whereas this palace overlooked all rome and the pope from his window could see the world pierre himself had viewed the panorama from the summit of the geniculum the loggia of raffaele and the dome of st peter's and so he well knew what it was that leo thirteen was able to behold in the centre of the vast desert of the campagna bounded by the sabine and alban mountains the seven illustrious hills appeared to him with their trees and edifices his eyes ranged also over all the basilicas santa maria maggiore san giovanni in laterano the cradle of the papacy san paolo fuori le mura santa croce in Gerusalemme, sant'agnese and the others they beheld too the domes of the gesù of sant'andrea della valle san carlo and san giovanni dei fiorentini and indeed all those four hundred churches of rome which make the city like a campo santo studded with crosses and leo thirteen could moreover see the famous monuments testifying to the pride of successive centuries the castle of st angelo that imperial mausoleum which was transformed into a papal fortress the distant white line of the tombs of the appian way the scattered ruins of the baths of caracalla and the abode of septimius severus and then after the innumerable columns porticos and triumphal arches there were the palaces and villas of the sumptuous cardinals of the renaissance the palazzo farnese the palazzo borghese the villa medici and others amidst a swarming of facades and roofs 
but in particular just under his window on the left the pope was able to see the abominations of the unfinished district of the castle fields in the afternoon when he strolled through his gardens bastioned by the wall of the fourth leo like the plateau of a citadel his view stretched over the ravaged valley at the foot of monte mario where so many brickworks were established during the building frenzy the green slopes are still ripped up yellow trenches intersect them in all directions and the closed works and factories have become wretched ruins with lofty black and smokeless chimneys and at any other hour of the day leo thirteen could not approach his window without beholding the abandoned houses for which all those brickfields had worked those houses which had died before they even lived and where there was now naught but the swarming misery of rome rotting there like some decomposition of olden society however pierre more particularly thought of leo thirteen forgetting the rest of the city to let his thoughts dwell on the palatine now bereft of its crown of palaces and rearing only its black cypresses towards the blue heavens doubtless in his mind he rebuilt the palaces of the caesars whilst before him rose great shadowy forms arrayed in purple visions of his real ancestors those emperors and supreme pontiffs who alone could tell him how one might reign over every nation and be the absolute master of the world then however his glances strayed to the quirinal and there he could contemplate the new and neighbouring royalty how strange the meeting of those two palaces the quirinal and the vatican which rise up and gaze at one another across the rome of the middle ages and the renaissance whose roofs baked and gilded by the burning sun are jumbled in confusion alongside the tiber when the pope and the king go to their windows they can with a mere opera glass see each other quite distinctly true they are but specks in the boundless immensity and what a gulf there is between them how many centuries of history how many generations that battled and suffered how much departed greatness and how much new seed for the mysterious future still they can see one another and they are yet waging the eternal fight the fight as to which of them the pontiff and shepherd of the soul or the monarch and master of the body shall possess the people whose stream rolls beneath them and in the result remain the absolute sovereign and pierre wondered also what might be the thoughts and dreams of leo thirteen behind those window panes where he still fancied he could distinguish his pale ghostly figure on surveying new rome the ravaged olden districts and the new ones laid waste by the blast of disaster the pope must certainly rejoice at the colossal failure of the italian government his city had been stolen from him the newcomers had virtually declared that they would show him how a great capital was created and their boast had ended in that catastrophe a multitude of hideous and useless buildings which they did not even know how to finish he the pope could moreover only be delighted with the terrible worries into which the usurping regime had fallen the political crisis and the financial crisis the whole growing national unrest amidst which that regime seemed likely to sink some day and yet did not he himself possess a patriotic soul was he not a loving son of that italy whose genius and ancient ambition coursed in the blood of his veins ah no nothing against italy rather everything that would enable her to become once more the mistress of the world and so even amidst the joy of hope he must have been grieved to see her thus ruined threatened with bankruptcy displaying like a saw that overturned unfinished rome which was a confession of her impotency but on the other hand if the house of savoy were to be swept away would he not be there to take its place and at last resume possession of his capital which from his window for fifteen years past he had beheld in the grip of masons and demolishers and then he would again be the master and reign over the world enthroned in the predestined city to which prophecy has ensured eternity and universal dominion 
but the horizon spread out and pierre wondered what leo thirteen beheld beyond rome beyond the campagna and the sabine and alban mountains what had he seen for eighteen years past from that window whence he obtained his only view of the world what echoes of modern society its truths and certainties had reached his ears from the heights of the viminal where the railway terminus stands the prolonged whistling of engines must have occasionally been carried towards him suggesting our scientific civilization the nations brought nearer together free humanity marching on towards the future did he himself ever dream of liberty when on turning to the right he pictured the sea over yonder past the tombs of the appian way had he ever desired to go off quit rome and her traditions and found the papacy of the new democracies elsewhere as he was said to possess so clear and penetrating a mind he ought to have understood and trembled at the far-away stir and noise that came from certain lands of battle from those united states of america for instance where revolutionary bishops were conquering winning over the people were they working for him or for themselves if he could not follow them if he remained stubborn within his vatican bound on every side by dogma and tradition might not rupture some day become unavoidable and indeed the fear of a blast of schism coming from afar must have filled him with growing anguish it was assuredly on that account that he had practised the diplomacy of conciliation seeking to unite in his hands all the scattered forces of the church overlooking the audacious proceedings of certain bishops as far as possible and himself striving to gain the support of the people by putting himself on its side against the fallen monarchies but would he ever go any farther shut up in that vatican behind that bronze portal was he not bound to the strict formulas of catholicism chained to them by the force of centuries their obstinacy was fated it was impossible for him to resign himself to that which was his real and surpassing power the purely spiritual power the moral authority which brought mankind to his feet made thousands of pilgrims kneel and women swoon departure from rome and the renunciation of the temporal power would not displace the centre of the catholic world but would transform him the head of the catholic church into the head of something else and how anxious must have been his thoughts if the evening breeze ever brought him a vague presentiment of that something else a fear of the new religion which was yet dimly confusedly dawning amidst the tramp of the nations on the march and the sound of which must have reached him at one and the same time from every point of the compass at this precise moment however pierre felt that the white and motionless shadow behind those window-panes was held erect by pride by the ever-present conviction of victory if man could not achieve it a miracle would intervene he the pope was absolutely convinced that he or some successor would recover possession of rome had not the church all eternity before it and moreover why should not the victor be himself could not god accomplish the impossible why if it so pleased god on the very morrow his city would be restored to him in spite of all the objections of human reason all the apparent logic of facts ah how he would welcome the return of that prodigal daughter whose equivocal adventures he had ever watched with tears bedewing his paternal eyes he would soon forget the excesses which he had beheld during eighteen years at all hours and in all seasons perhaps he dreamt of what he would do with those new districts with which the city had been soiled should they be raised or left as evidence of the insanity of the usurpers at all events rome would again become the august and lifeless city disdainful of such vain matters as material cleanliness and comfort and shining forth upon the world like a pure soul encompassed by the traditional glory of the centuries and his dream continued picturing the course which events would take on the very morrow no doubt anything even a republic was preferable to that house of savoy 
why not a federal republic reviving the old political divisions of italy restoring rome to the church and choosing him the pope as the natural protector of the country thus reorganized but his eyes travelled beyond rome and italy and his dream expanded embracing republican france spain which might become republican again austria which would some day be one and indeed all the catholic nations welded into the united states of europe and fraternizing in peace under his high presidency as sovereign pontiff and then would follow the supreme triumph all the other churches at last vanishing and all the dissident communities coming to him as the one and only pastor who would reign in the name of jesus over the universal democracy however whilst pierre was immersed in this dream which he attributed to leo thirteen he was all at once interrupted by narcisse who exclaimed oh my dear abbe just look at those statues on the colonnade the young fellow had ordered a cup of coffee and was languidly smoking a cigar deep once more in the subtle aesthetics which were his only preoccupation they are rosy are they not he continued rosy with a touch of mauve as if the blue blood of angels circulated in their stone veins it is the sun of rome which gives them that supra-terrestrial life for they live my friend i have seen them smile and hold out their arms to me during certain fine sunsets ah rome marvellous delicious rome one could live here as poor as job content with the very atmosphere and in everlasting delight at breathing it this time pierre could not help feeling surprised at narcisse's language for he remembered his incisive voice and clear precise financial acumen when speaking of money matters and at this recollection the young priest's mind reverted to the castle fields and intense sadness filled his heart as for the last time all the want and suffering rose before him again he beheld the horrible filth which was tainting so many human beings that shocking proof of the abominable social injustice which condemns the greater number to lead the joyless breadless lives of accursed beasts and as his glance returned yet once more to the window of the vatican and he fancied he could see a pale hand uplifted behind the glass panes he thought of that papal benediction which leo thirteen gave from that height over rome and over the plain and the hills to the faithful of all christendom and that papal benediction suddenly seemed to him a mockery destitute of all power since throughout such a multitude of centuries it had not once been able to stay a single one of the sufferings of mankind and could not even bring a little justice for those poor wretches who were agonizing yonder beneath the very window end of section sixteen